Welcome to this podcast from Mess to Miracle. Christianity plays a huge role in the fabric of our lives. To be honest, life is messy. Yet in the midst of the mess, God still uses us. The fact that God does is a miracle. This podcast is designed to inspire you in your walk with God and connect you with people and ministries that could be a blessing in your life. You will hear inspiring stories of believers exercising their faith to create miracles in their community. Welcome to From Mess to Miracle. Joan Obley has authored an international bestseller, The Dance, the story of love, faith, and survival. She's married to her high school sweetheart of 43 years. They have three grown daughters and five grandchildren. In addition to the many in the U.S. who have read her memoirs, her story has reached France, Egypt, England, South Africa, and even Dubai. She feels even further blessed to be an approved archdeaconess speaker, and it also brings an amazing story to life as purely inspiration to all. She's been the keynote speaker at various hospitals, libraries, and cancer support groups. Joan has inspired MOPS organization, which is Mothers of Preschoolers, and Relay for Life events. Several newspaper, magazines, and blogs have written articles about her miraculous story. We're so blessed to have her on the show to tell her story. Well, hi, Joan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm glad to have you on. Thank you. So I'm going to give you an easy question to start out with. Well, some, okay. some don't think it's easy, but it's, it's an interesting question anyway. <laughs> so what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, there's so many excellent quotes and there's so many people that have just told me different things. But the one quote that I like the most was from Mother Teresa. It is how much we do not we do, but not how much we put into the actions that matter to Almighty God. And then it's love for God that keeps God working and loving the world's reach of us through the work that has been entrusted to you. I really like that one. I think the words are powerful to remind us that every action that we do comes from love and it's truly favored by God. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, I think it's nice. So, I think it also really depicts our responsibility to one another, don't sure. you think? Yeah, I, I agree and with then that. All, and then all the gestures that we do are magnificent to be recognized and therefore appreciated by the Lord. Right. That's good. So tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Oh, goodness. Um, pretty much my life is a funny book, but I was thinking about this. Um. I think it was back in 1978, I was an executive secretary to the vice president of charity builders. Um, I took short hand from only once. Maybe I didn't do good enough job. I don't know. Right. But I'm apparently a total geek because even though I really can't remember it today, I sometimes when I jumped off to sleep, I close my eyes and write in my mind. Isn't that weird? That's cool. <laughs> Yes, I don't know why. Once it's in your brain, I guess it stays forever. Yeah, I try to I try to clean my brain out sometimes because there's so much. <laughs> yeah, there. there's so yeah, much there's in there. A lot of garbage sometimes. <laughs> there's a lot of garbage in there. Right. So tell us about your faith journey. 
Um, I would say I've always been religious. I was born in a Christian. I was born in Catholic. My mother taught me how to pray and all that. But I think it was really heightened. Back It all started back in March of 6, 1990, which was just yesterday, actually. A few months after giving birth to my third child at the age of 29, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, it's called, like, the one that I had was acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The oncology team told me that I wouldn't make it to the end of the week. So why, why postpone, that's why they postponed the chemo. So because I didn't want to make it even more miserable. Right. This is more known as a childhood cancer. So it's a really rare that I was diagnosed as 29. Most diseases, when you're 29, you're young, you know, so you're, you'll be able to fight it better. Whereas in my case, it's more of a childhood illness. So there was really no, no, it, there weren't very many other options to really check into to compare my treatment to. So I was told to make funeral arrangements, but instead we prayed. When I say we, that was me, my, myself, my husband, um, all the other churches that we knew of. The only really fear that I had was leaving my three small children without a mom, and my young husband would be alone to raise them. I wanted to love and to nurture them for sure. At that point, I was the only adult survivor of this type of cancer. There was one other woman, but she since then died when I was, when I was hospitalized. So at one point, I was the, the, the only adult survivor of this type of cancer. So other doctors around the country were calling my oncologist to check on my progress. Um, let's see, I experienced every complication. So many drug allergies, we couldn't keep them keep up. Screeching high fevers, what I call my zombie state. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty awful. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Um, let me explain. The reason why I really feel like God was always with me is one point, um, I was hundred percent septic, and I developed a gallbladder fungus on my jugular, and if you close to my heart and my lungs. Um, they gave me emergency. I had an emergency surgery to remove the clot in my jugular, but medication was given to dissolve the ones around the heart and the lungs. But in doing so, evidently one of those pieces lodged loose and traveled to my brain and caused a major stroke. So I was unable to move or speak for 10 days. But like I said, there were all the prayer requests that I had from everywhere. And um, let's see, there was one part that I forgot to tell you, too. After I was in the zombie state for 10 days, there were a couple different issues, from, a couple different times when my doctor had said she was praying for me. But there was one particular day that I recall, she came into my room and and that was when I was in my zombie stand. I was just stirring up the ceiling, not even knowing what was going on. She said that she was in, She went to the hospital that morning, the hospital chapel that morning for me. And she humbly asked God to use her as an instrument, and he's, he's healing me. So that first perfect cross, along with all the others, I was able to come out of the stroke that day. There was, there was really need. 
Um, due to the stroke, I had to use the wheelchair, progress to walker, and then to a cane before my before my current wobbly self. But I've seen all three of the girls scrub and have been blessed with five grandchildren. And just my mind, during two additional strokes, I'm fortunate to be able to continue sharing my story as simply an inspiration to those who struggle in any way. So that's how my journey really was emphasized even like stronger. It was put stronger because I just relied on God throughout the whole time. And he he was like carrying me, literally he was carrying me because I couldn't do anything for myself. So I preached them actually just carrying me along the way. Wow, that's a powerful story. And that's what your book, The Dance, is about, right? Is your story. Yeah, it is. It is. And of course, there's some way more details than that, but that's the gist of it. And there's major miracles involved, which I I don't want to spread alert in the book, but yeah, one of them happened on Holy Thursday, which is, you know, we didn't realize that time until afterwards it's Holy Thursday. And although a day, it, it really, it revolved around the magic or metal that Dr. Madaven had given to me. What is really cool that she wasn't, she's not even a Christian, but you know that I was. And then I strongly believed in my faith. So she gave me the metal and that led to one of my other healing, healing portions, I guess I would say. So. Yeah, that's powerful. It must have been really hard in to be diagnosed with cancer in your 20s. Like you said, one of the things you were concerned about was leaving your three young kids without a mom. I've had a few other people who have dealt with cancer in their 20s too. What are some of the challenges besides just being so young? Is it to have cancer diagnosed so young in your life? Well, I really don't think anybody's really prepared, but at such a young age, like you said, we're, we're caught off guard. We've just begun our lives and most likely the young children. So we're worried about the kids being left with their parent. You know, the one, the only positive thing about having cancer at a younger age is the fact that other than my particular cancer, but a lot of, a lot of people have like breast cancer and different things like that, that hopefully their youth is going to give them a little more strength to fight. Their body's going to be stronger to fight. But it's just hard to wrap your mind around it when you're so young. You know, the possibility of death is just overwhelming. That's why I think it's so important that we don't try and figure very little detail. We just kind of go with the flow and we believe in God. We right. just put our, put our faith in God and kill us again. Right. For people I've talked to who have dealt with cancer, they say it's this roller coaster. Because you, yeah. you you may have this moment where it's like you, you think you've turned the corner and you're on your way up and all of a sudden cancer just kind of has a way of sucking that down. So what was that roller coaster like for you and for um, your it, there's It's still a roller coaster. <laughs> um, it's funny because the hospital chaplain used to always pick up. He would come in and talk to me almost every day about continuing my faith and being strong and believing in that kind of thing. And he, again, referred to this roller coaster. So he would always say, you need to hold on to the ride. 
So at the one point when I was in my zombie state where I couldn't speak or move or anything, he would just pick his head in and motion like to be holding on to the ride. And that's basically what it is. You just need to hold on for the ride in. Yeah. Well, you know, wait. Yeah, for for your for your family members, I'm I'm sure that was a difficult time. What what were they kind of experiencing through all of this? I'm sure they were dealing with their own issues, but kind of for those who are kind of new to this, kind of what are some of the things your family had to deal with? Mm, let's say, well, for three months, I think well, I think first it was hard on me and actually my husband. It was hard on my husband rather than it was for me. He lost a lot of weight. You know, he had this burden of taking care of this young, sick wife. Even though I was hospitalized, still he would come in every day after work. Um, he had the fear of having to be possibly raising children alone. And it was just that part of his burden. Most people gave me all the support I really needed. There was only a couple of family members well, actually, only one family member. It was just too difficult for them to say, which I can understand, but he just needed to buck up and be there for the loved one, you know. Right. So, but he used to, um, he used to, when, like I said, he used to come to visit him in the hospital every night after work. So, at like four o'clock, he would come in and he would read me all the cards and letters that I received from friends and family, sometimes strangers. So like I said, so many churches were, were praying for me. So I would they would be like, well, I'm so-and-so's person. I'm at this church at blah, blah, blah. Which actually, I still have all the cards in the box. My husband thinks I'm a hoarder that way. <laughs> right. But he would read me all the cards and letters, and they all of them reminded me to be strong, to fight for the girls, and that God was forever with me. And that was the key. That was even though I knew in my heart, it was still nice to always constantly hear the positive. That's why usually when I do hear people that have cancer or they're going through a difficult time, strokes or you know, divorce or anything that's gonna be a big a big deal in your life, then I usually try and send a card to and give like some kind of a positive, you know, you're strong, you can get through this and God is with you. You're you're okay. So your book has obviously impacted so many people. The things you sent me, how it's you're you're speaking at hospitals and libraries and to moms groups and so what about your book are people connecting with so strongly? Um I think it kind of reemphasizes it like strengthens their faith. Is if if that sounds weird. It's like they know that it was there anyway. But it's nice. It was nice for them to hear me explain, without limitations, how I how I really felt about everything, and I think people appreciate the honesty of it. So I'm hoping that it's going to help people, and it's going to tell people about all the wonderful miracles that God can provide, and He that He can do that in all of our lives if we just open ourselves to the fact that it happens. I see that it was translated into Bangladesh, and it's, so that's a that's yeah. A, that was that was pretty cool. Um, I I ended up befriending a Catholic news correspondent in Bangladesh through LinkedIn, and um, we got talking, and I sent him a copy of the book, and he said he would like to have it translated someday. He could he could read English when most of their 
community, the community members could not. So he said, well, someday I'll get her done. Well, then I, I connected with the nun that he knew, and the nun said that she knew she can read English as well. So she physically didn't have it translated, but she kind of re, re told this really good story, Hollywood, to the whole community. Because I guess they're going through terrible times, of course, and it's a very poor community. And Christians are really, they, they're fighting for their lives out there. So it was to actually kind of strengthen their faith and give them a little inspiration that, hey, if I can do it, I'm a nobody, <laughs> then they can do it too. You just said, you know, they they should keep asking God for himself. Wow. I'm just, it's amazing to see. So what, it was pretty cool. It's amazing to see what God is doing through your book. It's, it's so powerful. Yeah, thank you. So where can people find your book? Uh, let's see. The, the most, I think the most that people go through Amazon. And um, you can search Joan Albley. That's the best way. Because if you put in the dance, it's like, there's all kinds of weird dance books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I think I did that. I saw search, a ton just of them. Search the name. <laughs> just search the name. Um, you can always email me. Um, I don't know if you'll have the links or if I should give you the link. I wasn't clear. I'll put the link in the, into the show notes. Okay, you can email me if you want to have another autographed copy. Um, I'm also on Barnes & Noble. It's the same thing. You can uh, go ahead and search Sean Albley is the best way to do it. I did that again last night and it was easier if I just Put the name in and said, but if you want to connect to me on Facebook, I, I'm on and I'm there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, or my website, which I did believe you have as well. Right. So I'm always open to getting cards and letters or emails or whatever you know. So, so that and book I, that book was a popular success. What are you working on now? I'm working on a book. It's called Hearts Ablaze, The Rebels We Create. It's actually in the hands of the editor, and I look forward to and for, further inspiring, but we'll see how good it takes. Um, it was totally unexpected, but the dance reached Amazon's number one honorable new release spot within four days of publication. Now, it didn't stay, but it stayed in the top 100 100 for a year and a half, I guess. And so now it kind of goes up and down all the time. Um, my local librarian, which was who is very um, important and inspirational for me to actually write the first book, and a, lot, a bunch of other people that told me that I should really write a follow up book that I need to tell, explain how, what the book, what writing the book has actually has done for others and what all it's created. So it's a short, it's a compilation of short stories um, from pivotal life happenings that I've witnessed in my travels. When I'm traveling, I'm talking about like all the different book signings, presentations, that kind of thing. And then it totally demonstrates how God is forever placing people in our path. Um, like one person would maybe direct me to another person. That person would be connected to this person. Everybody knows this person. It's really neat how everyone's connected and how we're forever creating ripples. So that's why I decided to write this book. To let everyone know that 
I am, I'm not special. I'm not the only one that this happens to. And that whatever you do, you're going to be really, you're going to be affecting the next person. And sometimes you don't even realize it. So I think in this book, there's going to, there's going to be a lot of surprise of people that when, once they read it, that they didn't realize how, how important they were to the whole ripple of the world. <laughs> they got lots of decrees. I like that. So yeah. I'm going to ask you about your ripple. So about, what? about your ripple. Okay. So when your earthly journey is over, what do you hope your ripple legacy will be? Oh, goodness. Let's see. Um, first of all, that I was kind. Um, let's see. What was the other thing that I was thinking of? That I was the one that was actually brave enough, if that's the right word, without sounding goofy. <laughs> That, that I share the story, that people aren't going to like think that I'm bonkers or that I exaggerated, that something like this really happened, that God saved me for a reason, and that I'm telling this story to, to help everyone else. Yeah, that's powerful. So. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Oh, goodness, I don't think so. Um, let's see. We've been through most of the questions that I, that I can think of. Good. Well, give people your social media account one more time so they can look you up. Okay, again, either on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, search me for Joan Obley, J-O-A-N, Obley, A U. B as in boy, E-L-E. Or uh, they can find me on Facebook, at Albany the Dance, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And for an awesome resource, my website is www.donobelyfaithbooks.com. And actually, if you, a lot of people are pre-ordering the book, which there is no cost for it at all. It just gives them a better idea of how many books I need to order. Sure. So they'd like to connect me, connect through that then too. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for sharing your story and blessings on your book and your next book that's coming. I'm looking forward to it. We'll have to have you back on when that next one comes out. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This platform is awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, John. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on From Mess to Miracle. Make sure you visit our website at HHTPS from mess to miracle.buzzsprout.com. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I would appreciate a rating on iTunes. If you simply like to tell a friend about the show, you will help us get the message out to bless more people. If you like this show, you might want similar content. You can follow my blog at www.alightbreakthrough.org. Be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next episode. Just remember, out of our messiness, God makes miracles.